Hello, friend. Thanks for tuning in. Creative miscarriage. That's a fancy bit of terminology there, but what I'm talking about are projects that fail to come to completion and they don't turn out the way that you like or you hoped. And I've had many of these, more than I can even think about, more than I can even provide examples for. Um, but something I do know is that back in 2016, I had had enough creative miscarriages or creative challenges that I know I don't advertise a project that I'm doing until it's completed. I will ask for prayer um, if it's something that I know I'm committed to, but um, I, I won't. I won't do that thing where I gush and get excited to other people. I'll, I'll try to keep that enthusiasm between myself and the people I'm collaborating with and um, my very closest friends who I trust with that information. So if you are a creative person and if you have any aspirations, you may have experienced this. And so a huge part of why I'm recording this podcast today is because it's normal. It is normal to feel sad when things don't turn out the way we'd hope. Um, when collaborations fall through and logistics happen in a way that, you know, what you dreamed for wasn't feasible in the way you envisioned. And, um, you know, maybe you you do complete your part of the project, but then things happen and it's just, there's so many factors, so many factors. So I kind of want to share some of my experiences and also offer some perspective. Um, because if I, if I offer my perspective first, you won't understand the context of how I came to that opinion. So, oh man, which awkward story do I want to tell first? Okay, I'm going to tell you about Shine. I don't remember if I've talked about this before. I might have, but anyways, so, um, and this is so long ago, I don't even remember dates. Yay. Okay, so um, back in 2011 was when I started working on Shine, and um, I had I'd filmed Be Free in 2000. Oh gosh, 2009. Yes, 2009, and I I knew I had to keep pushing and keep going. Um, because I didn't want Blue Dress to be a fluke, and I didn't want to be a one-hit wonder. I wanted to keep on going, I wanted to keep learning, and I, I honestly, I didn't dream that I would be where I am today, which is I can put my phone on a tripod and film myself and then come home and edit it and make something beautiful. I. I never dreamed I would get to this part. So I'm, 
I'm super excited to be here now, and looking back, I just, oh man, so many train wrecks, so many train wrecks, and, you know, many of them not even my fault, just I had the privilege of experiencing other people's train wrecks, if that makes any sense. Um, but Shine is one where I can take a lot of responsibility for, so that's what I, I feel comfortable sharing initially, and then um, I'll, I'll probably share some other stories. Oh man, there's so many though, and they're all terrible. And by terrible, I mean, like, they're, they're really excellent case studies. Oh my gosh. Um, so Shine, I started working on that back in 2010, and I, I decided that I wanted to hire a, a cameraman and, you know, have high quality footage, HD or whatever. Um, and so I hired a director, because obviously if I'm going to be dancing the film, I can't be directing the shots. So I hired a director, I hired a cameraman, um, and I got stalled in the middle, and then I raised some money, and I just, I just really committed to it. Um, and, you know, I, I met with the director, and we had planning meetings, and we thought through, okay, let's do this, and let's do that, and just all these different things. Um, so, so that was a really emotionally intense process. I mean, when you work on something for a long time, it's like, <laughs> I mean, this is an understatement, but it's important to you. It's very important to you. So, so I worked on Shine and the day finally came to film, and then we filmed all the stuff at the different locations, and then um, we, we transferred the footage from the camera to my laptop, or through my laptop to my terabyte, yes. And, um, when I went to look at the footage, it was a little splotchy, and I was, you know, I asked about that, and they said, oh, well, it's your Windows viewer, because it can't handle the H, the size of the HD footage. Okay. So I told the cameraman that he could wipe his cards with the original footage. Yup, and that's how we lost 80% of the footage. So, we took hours and hours and hours of footage. And all, the majority of all the usable footage that's left is in that finished dance film. Like, so, there, there was there was the moment when the director had the terabyte and he plugged it in to a, a good computer and and for sure the footage was corrupted and that was all we had left so we re, we did refilm a couple of shots um but even that wasn't what 
I wanted and it, it wasn't the same and I wanted to get a sunrise shot and he said that we had enough footage for the sunrise shot but then we didn't have the footage for the sunrise shot. Long story short, literally this was like a, a couple year process. <laughs> like, like, ugh. A couple years went into this and um, I don't even remember dates now. I mean, it's 2018 as I'm recording this, and this happened back in 2011, 2012, 2010. I, I don't even remember. So, I made a commitment to finish it, and I did. And the day came, and I uploaded it on the internet, and people watched it, and it was cool. But I just felt so sad and frustrated with myself because, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and if I could have done things differently, I would have, and it was just an emotionally exhausting experience, and at the end of the day, like, the dance film is, is, it speaks for itself, but it's a, it's a good dance film. It doesn't match my original vision, but it is a good dance film. And here's the thing. Here's something you... Here's one of the biggest things that I learned about that. If the footage I had wanted to be in that dance film had made it in, it would have brought more glory to me than it would have brought to God. And so, in hindsight, I have peace about what it is because because of what I've learned since then and yeah I I raised about oh gosh I spent about fifteen hundred dollars on on that and I I raised half of that and half of that I pulled from my very minuscule savings, um, and, you know, some people may say, wow, you spent $1,500? In fact, oh gosh, I went to a financial counselor at church to just have help, like, figuring out a budget, and he shamed me so badly for spending money on that, I cried in the middle of that financial counselor thing. He did not help me. He did not help me. Oh my gosh. I'm still kind of angry about that, as you can tell from my tone of voice. All right, um, Lord Jesus, please help me to work through that and forgive him. Amen. Um, so I was shamed by a financial counselor person for spending money on that and then getting myself in debt. And um, so I went back to, you know, trying to take care of myself the way I normally did, which was binge and purge and, or, you know, fiscally try and, you know, of, you know, pinch my pennies and then binge because it was like, okay, I'm worth it and I want to buy these clothes. Um, and, which is not a healthy way to live, but that was an old coping mechanism and it's finally, finally, uh, Uh, 
my self-worth is no longer attached to the money that I spend. And it helps to... It, it helps to have my self-worth more grounded in God, and it helps to um, have enough money <laughs> to eat food um, because my husband works. So, um, I mean, my, my husband is subsidizing my ministry by allowing me to stay at home. So, um, big shout out to Ben. Thank you for allowing me to record this podcast and, you know, set up my tripod and make the little dance films and do the watercolor because, you know, we're, we're probably not ever going to get money back for that the way that, um, we would hope to if we were a for-profit business. I mean, watercolor is a for-profit business, but, like, I can't charge anybody money for watching my three-minute dance films. That's, that's not how that works. (laughs) So, um, I've made peace with, you know, sending this stuff out into the world just to, as a gift for other people, and if it helps them, great, and if they don't care, oh, okay, well then, you know, wasn't meant to be, so I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to be faithful to what God's told me to do. So, so filming Shine was a really brutal process, just emotionally really, really brutal, and I promised um, my donors that gave $50 or more, I promised them DVDs, Um, and so I did finally get those made, and I was trying to figure out, okay, well, I want to get permission from Sean Locke and the the music publishers to do this properly, but, and I, I even emailed them, but then I didn't hear anything back, and, um, so that was, that was an interesting experience, um, but it, it's okay. (laughs) It really is okay. So, um, I learned more from that project than any other. I I learned about just getting things done, and it doesn't have to be perfect, it just has to be finished. Um, and it was absolutely excruciating, but I... I'm that much braver now, and I'm that much more confident about, okay, this is what I want to do this time. I learned, and I made that mistake, and I don't ever want to make that mistake again, and maybe this time I'll make a different mistake, and I'll learn from that one. So, um, that, that perspective by itself has helped me in the rest of my life, just not being so perfectionistic that I can't even finish. Um, something you may not know about me is that I have recently picked up knitting. Again, I learned when I was 14, and I knit a pink scarf, um, which you can see in the, (laughs) in the, uh, um, New Jersey Preacher Girl 
the Russian grandma video. Oh my gosh, it's like, I'm wearing a, a, a raccoon hat and a blue sweater thing and, um, and I'm knitting this bright pink scarf. It's, it's quite, it's quite a color combination going on there. It, oh my word. Um, so I started that scarf when I was 14 and then I recently finished it like Christmas of last year and, um, yeah, New Year's of last year I was finishing it and, um, I'm working on a knitting right now and I'm trying to not mess up my knitting. Okay. One, two, three. Okay, good. Um, so I've started knitting things for my friends and I don't like to use patterns because I like to make it up. I like to think through the pattern for myself. That's part of the fun. Um, and part of the fun is making something for someone and knowing, you know, even though there's mistakes in it, the person that I'm giving this to is still going to feel loved by me because I made this for them. And that is just such a satisfying feeling. Um, and it helps me to remember why I'm doing it. If I'm trying to make art because it, I want it to be perfect, then I would never even start. But if I want to film a dance film of me out in the rain ruining my shoes because I know it'll help somebody who's going through a bad day or they're struggling with their healing process or, you know, God kept on telling me, especially with my dance films, you cannot compare yourself to your peers. You're not making art for your peers. You're making it for real people who don't know the difference between fifth position and third. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. And so, like one of the things you may not know about me, um, like I used to have my splits and flexibility and my legs went 180 degrees all over the place. But sometimes that distracts people from the actual movement, from what you're trying to say. And so now, I, my legs don't go past 90 degrees, which is half of 180 degrees. So instead of having my splits, I have um, this little cattywampus feeling. Oh, okay. okay, I am still recording. That's always good. Um, catty wampus. I feel catty wampus because my legs are like, it, they go so far and then th they, they don't keep going and I better stop or I'm going to pull a muscle. <laughs> so, um, used to, I used to think that I couldn't make dance film because I didn't have my flexibility. Like, uh, limiting belief much? <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. And in fact, 
feel like my dance is even more relevant and more accessible and understandable to people because they're not distracted by my flexibility. Does that make sense? <sighs> it's definitely been a process to come to this place and come to the realization that adequate really is good enough. So, in regards to creative miscarriages, um, I have poured my heart and effort into projects where they were destined to fail from the start or projects where the Holy Spirit was absolutely with us, but then we got off track and I watched, I watched it just spiral off course and then um, I think it was January of 2016 I collaborated on a secret project and we met up in person and they explained what they wanted to do and I was going to be a story consultant and I I signed a privacy agreement and um, you know one thing happened and then another thing happened and then come come May I was finally able to um, come May I I resigned from the project, which completely shocked the people, but they didn't have their eyes open yet. And then eventually when we did have a phone call, the Holy Spirit had softened them to the point where they were able to hear me and hear my observations on what had gone wrong. And because God did the softening before I opened my mouth, that person heard me and they had remorse and repentance in, a, in, in proportion to what had happened. And um, I have not collaborated with this person on anything that you would know about. Um, so there's, there's no risk of you finding out their name. And, and truthfully, I, because of the, the, the depth of their understanding of, of how they contributed, I would absolutely be 100% willing to work with that particular director again. Um, and I should probably tell them that, because that would be encouraging to them. Um, so, in that case, there's enough trust that was restored by acknowledging acknowledgement and grief over sin that um, I, I felt privileged to be a part of their life and a part of their sanctification. Like, that by itself, you know, maybe to the world's eyes, that energy and investment spent was a waste. But to God, that was an investment in their maturity and in their future projects. And I felt, after all is said and done, right now I feel so honored 
to have been a part of that person's sanctification because they are, they love the Lord Jesus, they love him even more than they did before, and they're doing powerful things for him. And that is absolutely not a waste. You know, to, to the people around us, maybe it looks like a read of miscarriage, but to me, yeah, there was, there was things that I wish had happened differently, but my definition of success isn't having projects completed with my name in the credits. My definition of success is helping my fellow believers become more like Christ and bringing other people into a relationship with Christ. So that doesn't always look like, you know, being up on a stage and getting accolades. And, and like, one of my most fruitful days the other month, um, my, uh, so here's a funny story. So my friend Rachel, um, released her first single, um, the beginning of September. And it has gone really well, and she got a bunch of shares on Facebook, and I was just so proud of her, and so excited for her, and I'm so excited for this song, and the, the, the doctrinal structure of the lyrics, and the accessibility of the, the, anyways, all the things. So, um, Rachel Hughes, she's, she's, she's good. So, um, and you can find that music video, um, um, on my Facebook, and then she's also in my Instagram story highlights for instagram.com slash inverse stream, or just look up Rachel Hughes worship and you'll find it. So, yeah. Um, so, so Rachel Hughes had this awesome day of release and me, I'm just like, oh man, look at all these shares she's getting and, you know, her videos up to a thousand views plus, and that's really awesome. And I started to struggle with jealousy and God had to remind me, uh-uh-uh, uh-uh-uh. And you know what? That day, I had, I spent that day doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations and helping to counsel people make decisions with their life. I probably counseled like four or six people that day. I don't even remember. But like long-term people that I care about and I've been helping and I don't, I don't advertise that on social media because I can only invest in so many people. My emotional resources are finite and there'll be a time where like, I won't, there, the day may come when I can't respond to direct messages and that sort of thing. And um, as it is, I have to push people away and say, hey, I need to take care of my husband right now and I have to cook dinner and this is not a good time, but no, I can't Facebook chat, or no, I can't video chat, but if you, if you send me some messages and I can read them later, I can reply to you, and, you know, my availability is, 
it's already changing being a wife and um, making a higher priority for my creativity. So, with that all said, um, I was tempted to be jealous of Rachel, but I am happy for her. She absolutely deserves all this, the, the song that she wrote needs the promotion and the shares. And she has more stuff to write and put out there. And me? I had, I had a very fruitful day from a much pr more private perspective. And keep my eyes fixed on... Honestly, it was a gift from God that I had that much fruitfulness in one day to help me maintain my own perspective. Because I, I am a flawed, broken human being, and like even a few years ago, I would have really struggled with jealousy to the point where I wouldn't have been able to be a good friend to Rachel. I would not have been able to sacrificially rejoice with her. But now I'm finally making progress to the maturity level where I can support her and not expect anything back and just celebrate and praise God that there is one more worship song in this world that encourages sanctification and repentance and just, oh, that beautiful process by which Christ makes us more like himself. Thank you, Jesus. So, I'm going to tell you another story, and then I'm going to tell you my perspective. So, when I was in South Florida for nine years, um, that's basically where I spent my, my young adult years, um, I, I'm going to tell you the full story, excuse me. One morning, I got up at the crack of dawn. Not even. It was pitch black outside. No, wait. Okay, there were a couple times I went to the beach before the sun rose and then watched the sunrise over the ocean. Now, that sounds really awesome, but in actuality, it takes sacrifice to get up at that time of the day and go out to the ocean and sit there and wait for the sun to come up. Like, I learned so much about patience from that experience. It was amazing. So, one of those mornings, there was a boogie board leaning up against a trash can. Now, this was a nice boogie board. It probably cost about 50 bucks retail, if not more. And... It had a it had a, a bubble in it, so the person had decided to throw it away. And I saw that and I took it. Finders, keepers, fair and square. Um and the the velcro had come off of the strap and I went and I bought some velcro and I sewed it onto the strap and it it was good as new. And except for the bubble, like never bothered me. So I had a happy, wonderful boogie board. Um, and I gave it to one of my girlfriends when I left Florida. And she has a calling on her life to, um, to, to use um, 
scuba diving and beach activities to help kids who haven't been able to get to the beach and love on them and help them and bless them. And so I gave it to her and that's where it needs to go. In the meantime, while I lived in Florida, I had this boogie board that God gave me. I was so thankful for this boogie board. Now, boogie boards are quite a bit different from surfboards in that they're a thick foam and surfboards are made to glide under the waves so that you can come, so you can get past the breaking point of the water. Um, if, you, if, you're not a fair, if you're not familiar with ocean terminology, um, when the, the water comes in towards the shore, the underneath side of the water starts to hit the, the beginning of the beach, and then that pushes the water up so it prompts the beginning of the wave. Now, if you if you're want to catch one of the really good waves and ride it in, you have to get past that breaking point and into the open ocean so then you can catch the waves that you want to catch and avoid the baby ones that aren't as good. And, um, and that's how that's how you ride the waves in. That's true for surfing where you can stand up on the board and it's true for boogie boarding where you ride and you lay on the board. So I had this boogie board and there was one, there were a couple times when the waves were so strong, when the waves were really, really big, I could never get past the breaking point because I could never go under the waves. The boogie board was too thick. The foam of it was too buoyant for me to cut under the waves. And so there was one time I was sitting on the ocean and I'm watching the surfers, you know, go out and enjoy the waves. And me, I was, you know, out in the ocean fighting the water and losing my breath and getting to the point of tired where it's like, okay, I need to come in or I'm going to risk, you know, getting hurt and swallowing some ocean water and turning into a, um, a, a statistic here for how to not do ocean activities. So, so I, I came in and I sat on the shore before I got too tired to take care of myself. And I sat there and I asked God, God, why, why don't I have a real surfboard? Why do I only have a boogie board? And I'll never forget what he taught me that day. He taught me that because I had the boogie board, I had enough of an opportunity to learn the skills that I needed to learn so that when I did have good equipment, I could do exactly what I needed to do. That applied not only to my boogie boarding, but also to my, my creative habits. I, I filmed New Jersey Preacher Girl, my comedy channel, and I'd been using a computer to edit it on, and that computer, the screen had broken, and it wasn't working anymore. And so it was really frustrating for me just to try and be creative while all my technical equipment is just 
malfunctioning right in front of my eyes. And I had another laptop, but had a different version of Windows Movie Maker, so I couldn't be as specific with my editing cuts. It was just really, really frustrating. So what God taught me about that boogie board applied not just to surfing, but also to my creative endeavors. So here's the good part of the story. The good part of the story is that a few years later, I was at Island Water Sports enjoying the free surf lessons, and I had a guy friend there who let me ride on his surfboard and get this he caught the first wave I ever stood up on on his GoPro and that little piece of footage is is on youtube.com slash inside out it's probably buried somewhere there it might be unlisted I don't I don't even remember but I got to stand up on a surfboard and have it on camera like that mm, that just made my day I <sighs> yes that was so special and wonderful and meaningful and God knew that little detail about having it on film that I would appreciate all the more like that was so God so um The same thing has happened with my technology equipment. And, you know, our, the phone that I own is high enough quality to make a reasonable dance film. And Ben has high quality computers that he's allowed me to use for both my, my artwork post-production and my video editing and all the the frustration of those few years with you know having broken equipment and just literally dying equipment everywhere i vlogged about it it's probably somewhere in my archive list god has completely given me everything that i need now in this season and so the frustration of not having what i the equipment that i what i wanted then it forced me to develop creativity and to develop develop persistence and resilience and um, grit or stick to all whatever you want to call it. And I know I'm a much more creative person now because I went through those hard experiences not having the equipment I needed. And I wouldn't trade that skill set for anything. Like, there's still stuff that I, there's still equipment that I want, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I would love to have a copy of After Effects and be able to, you know, know how to use it properly, but that's sort of like, you know, there, there's, 
there is so much to learn in After Effects. I could get lost in that to the point where I, I don't even make dance films. I'm so obsessed with making it cool. So I don't know if I even want After Effects, you know? Um, but my point is this. God always knew all along exactly what I needed. And he gave me what I needed when I needed it. Sometimes that was in the form of really difficult circumstances. Sometimes that was having a creative goal and not having the resources to be able to make it happen. And honestly, in hindsight, I wouldn't trade any of it. Because I am more and more, I am more now the person of maturity he wants me to be so that he can trust me with ideas that are going to help people and bless them and I know not to take pride in in anything that is his. He's given me the privilege of creating for his glory and then I get to sign his name to it. That's it. That that's it. So, with all of that told, I hope that this encouraged you. I hope it gives you perspective for whatever it is that you're going through. And I hope that you will stick to whatever it is that you're trying to do. If you want to be self-employed, if you have an artistic vision that nobody else can capture. Um, I mean, that was the thing about Blue Dress that was so hard for me. I could see it. I could so see it in my head. But I couldn't explain it, and I knew that I knew that I just had to do it and show people. Maybe you've got a, an artistic passion like that. You've just got to do it and then show people. You, you won't be you won't be the last person to feel that way. And you certainly aren't the first. My name is Meg, and I love my Jesus. And I believe in living inside out. Now it's your turn. Go live it.